Ed Calderon's experience living through a war with Mexico's criminal underworld has made him an asset to people looking for new ways to protect themselves and those around them. Everyone from security teams to concerned parents and from active duty special operators to weary world travelers. But Ed has recently discovered another use for his knowledge base. Consulting with Hollywood producers looking for more accurate portrayals of the world he used to operate in and the country he called home. To me, it's a weird new experience. Uh, I, yeah, I'm not here to drop names or you know do any of that. I will share the, uh, you know, the, the 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 questions that I see or or seeing how some of it is depicted uh, in a movie. You know, I, I always get I always get a kick out of the uh, sepia filter when it's Mexico. It turns sepia tone. You know <laughs> how it uh, some of these things get depicted in in, in fiction or in movies. Uh, and then some of the things that I see in some of these movies don't make any sense as, uh, as somebody that went through them myself, you know, um, you know, see some of these, uh, productions out there on Netflix and stuff like that. And you're like, that's not how things are, or that's not how it happened. I, I view it as a, as an opportunity to give a voice to a lot of people that lived through that whole thing. And, uh, I've never seen it depicted in a like in a, on a show or in fiction, popular fiction. We all have a certain thing we are aware of or know a lot about. And when we see somebody put it into a movie and get it wrong, you're just, you're just there standing, screaming at the you know, screaming in your mind, like, hey, that's not how it would go. Uh, Mexico is in all sepia tone, you know. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, uh, that whole thing. Or another thing I notice a lot is the glorification of some of these, uh, some of these guys that that, uh, that I, I just know for a fact were ruthless, uh, sadistic people. Seeing them as uh, being portrayed on a series uh, or on a show as these compassionate uh, individuals that are all about family or that have a certain honor to them or a certain you know. They, they get glorified. There's certain romanticism put behind them, and in real life, they're responsible for you know the deaths of whole generations of people. Sadly enough, uh, the villains are way more interesting uh, in some of these stories than the victims. You know, you'll rarely see a story about a you know, um, you know a woman looking for a daughter that was kidnapped uh, from a party uh, because she was cute by a cartel group. Uh, you know, you, you rarely see the, the side of the victim as far as the narrative goes in some of these stories. So the things I try and do is provide a voice to, you know, to that, you know, the details that you would see, and also just try and make these people aware that uh, some of these people are not too nice. Some of these people are not honorable. You know, some of the people on the cop side are completely corrupt, and some of them did heinous crimes as well. Uh, so just realizing it's not all black and white. The world of Hollywood intersected with Ed's former life in a big way back in 2016, with an event that he says was an embarrassment to both the U.S. and Mexican governments. The secret meeting between infamous drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman and Hollywood actor Sean Penn may not have been all it was cracked up to be. Sean Penn became famous for his portrayal of a 1980s high school surfer. 
but he quickly became infamous after traveling to the Mexican compound of a cartel kingpin. Saturday, Rolling Stone magazine published an exclusive interview done with the drug lord in October in secret by actor Sean Penn, arranged with the help of a Mexican actress. Ed says the actor is lucky he didn't spark an international incident, given that reports suggest Penn was at El Chapo's compound the very moment Mexican special forces called off a raid due to bad weather. There's a lot of stories that come that have come out of the whole El Chapo raid and some of the people that went down there and talked to him for that article. Uh, one thing to kind of realize is that uh, El Chapo was never and has never been the leader of the Sinaloa cartel. He's pretty high up in the leadership, but he's not. He's, he's he wasn't the head. Even on the uh, even in the U.S. Uh, in the U.S.'s media, he's he's portrayed as this kingpin character that uh, was in charge of everything and that's not that's not actually the case there are people out there and, and still in power that uh, have way more leadership and, and influence and they've been around for longer than he has um, but uh, it was interesting seeing that whole debacle it was an embarrassment to the Mexican government to have that picture come out uh, because basically they were supposedly on his trail for this whole time and then there's Sean Penn there taking the picture it was uh, number one you know on the most wanted list it put a lot of attention on not just Sean Penn but uh, Cate del Castillo which is a Mexican actress that accompanied him who was the original kind of architect of this meeting you know I do believe that they probably had the raid for him already set up and it probably did coincide at least surveillance wise they knew uh, that somebody was coming and they probably thought it was not a good idea to to maybe do that operation with a uh, high-level Hollywood celebrity there. Uh, I do know that, he, that Sean Penn probably uh, didn't want to visit Mexico after that whole situation for fear of prosecution uh, but because he and, and Cate de Castilla were under investigation after that for for their ties to El Chapo. And a few uh, months later, he was uh, or actually captured and arrested. Penn wound up saying he had, quote, terrible regret, end quote, that his article failed to achieve its purpose, which he says was to start a conversation about the war on drugs. Neither he nor the Mexican actress, Kate Del Castillo, were charged in the incident, and she reportedly sued the Mexican government over what she described as, quote, political persecution while also taking swipes at Penn for his handling of the situation. A lot of these things are just propaganda, pure propaganda campaigns to make the government look like it's being efficient or it's actually doing the job. Um, so an example of this is they arrested El Chapo, they extradited him, and things have never been worse in Mexico. So they didn't solve anything with his arrest. Uh, they only fragmented... Uh, the cartel uh, that he was a part of a little bit and kind of cleared the way for another cartel uh, uh, taking its place eventually, which is the new generation cartel. They basically weakened one side, so they benefited the other. Um, I'm not saying that no good came out of it. I'm saying that it's not the killing blow that they made it out to be. It's a game of whack-a-mole. You cut one head off the snake and three grow, grow in its place. Or you cut the head of one snake and there was another snake in the grass growing. It's not going to feed off all the mice that that snake uh, It's not going to feed off. 
And uh, the next day you have two fat snakes in the place of one small snake that you had before. I mean, that's a, that's a phenomenon that's been happening since the, uh, since back when uh, Kiki Camarena, the DEA agent, was uh, abducted and killed. On February 7th, 1985, Special Agent Camarena was kidnapped by the traffickers. He was tortured and beaten to death. First Lady Nancy Reagan and her husband's administration made cartel violence into a global issue after the death of DEA agent Kiki Camarena in Mexico. Camarena, a fierce narco hunter himself, was apparently abducted by Mexican government agents at the behest of a cartel back in the 80s. He was tortured for days. In an extremely graphic interview, Fox News Los Angeles-based correspondent William Lajeunesse spoke to one of the U.S. agents assigned to the case. And the way he tells it makes it sound more like a horror movie than a cartel hit. Raised on the border, Camarena joined the Marines and later the DEA. After leading a series of drug busts, Mexico's intelligence agency, the DFS, kidnapped him outside the consulate in Guadalajara. Back in the middle 1980s, the DFS, uh, their main role was to protect the drug lords. Hector Bereas led the investigation. He says the DFS took Camarena on orders from Mexico's top drug trafficker, Rafael Caro Quintero. Caro Quintero is such a psychopath that he makes Charles Manson appear to be a cop scum. Over three days, Quintero and others crushed Kiki's skull, jaw, nose, and cheekbones with a tire iron. They drilled a hole in his head and tortured him with a cattle prod. As Camarena lay dying, Quintero ordered a cartel doctor to keep him alive. And at that point, uh, he administered lidocaine into his heart to keep him um, alert and awake uh, during, during the torture. The cartel eventually dumped Camarena's body nearby. Hours later, the DEA closed in on Quintero at the Guadalajara airport. Upon arrival, we were confronted by over 50 DFS agents pointing machine guns and shotguns at us, at the DEA. They told us that we were not going to take Carlo Quintero. And he flew away from there? Well, Carlo Quintero uh, came up to the uh, plane door, waved a bottle of champagne at the DEA agents and said, my children, next time bring more guns, and laughed at us. The Mexican government was eventually pressured into arresting Rafael Carlo Quintero, the kingpin behind the incident. But the story of his capture ended almost the same way as El Chapo's. The only thing that happened was uh, one big cartel organization started fragmenting into several. And it's a phenomenon we'll, we're still seeing to this day. It is frustrating. You know, again, Mexico. Uh, as a people, I will never lose love for them. Uh, but uh, for the government... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's, it's uh, the government of Mexico I, I, and, and some of the government forces. It's, it's, it's harder and harder for me to kind of justify what they do and what they did and how they're going about the whole situation. What makes it hard is seeing the, the new president basically uh, has taken a, a, a wait and see type uh, policy as far as the cartels go. Uh, he has a policy, policy called uh, brazos, no balazos, which means hugs, not bullets. Uh, and also he has a, a weird amnesty type thing going on uh, with uh, the Sinaloa cartel. He, uh, he recently 
very publicly uh, visited the town of Vandirahuato, Sinaloa, which is the cradle of most of the biggest cartel figures in the history of Mexico. Uh, mysteriously, he went out there on his, uh, you know, one of his uh, presidential trips and uh, he went and basically shook hands with El Chapo's mother and El Chapo's lawyer, which is to anybody outside of the realities of what's going on in Mexico, um, that is a clear sign, you know, something's wrong in that, you know, that in that whole interaction, something was very wrong in that interaction. But he was just saying hi to some to El Chapo's mom. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's a clear sign of some sort of uh, communication going on behind the scenes. It's a clear sign of some sort of support going on behind the scenes. And also, it's a clear sign that Mexico as a country right now is completely segmented. Uh, you see the federal government going after the new generation cartel based out of Jalisco. Uh, which is growing in its influence by the day. And you don't hear a lot about them going after a Sinaloa cartel. So you, you, you kind of see a side going on as far as the federal government. Um, then you have the arrest of El Chapo's son, which was mostly an accidental situation that the government, uh, federal government went into. Forces went into Sinaloa. They, they ran into this party they found out, whoops, we got El Chapo's uh, son. And after the whole of the Sinaloa cartel basically surrounded the city and took uh, hostages of military families, uh, they let him go. The president gave the order to let him go because he didn't want to make things worse. Um, you see all these things and you start putting all these things together and you start getting really suspicious of, of the way things are going right now as far as the federal government goes. It's a very complicated uh, situation. Um, and uh, it's a cycle that repeats itself over and over again. We'll return right after this brief break. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Ed talks a lot about what he calls Mexico's problem with memory, something that results in a revolving door of corruption and preferential treatment when it comes to politics and policing, and something he believes is a critical element to the survival of the cartels. But it also means that people who might share the same kind of idealism as Ed often never learn about the heroes who sometimes emerge from Mexico's history, instead of just the villains. Every six years, new president comes in, gets rid of everything, starts anew. And that includes uh, some of the command people, some of the people that would experience, some of the people that uh, that uh, were successful in the lines of work that they were performing are now uh, enemies because they belong to the political party that just went out. The, their successes belong to the political party that is now out of favor. So people forget. Uh, people like me that have a lot of experience uh, get put ca- cast aside and or ostracized and or sent off to do whatever they, they do. It was asked by a group uh, to do a, a, cl- a part of a part of a uh, training segment, uh, and part of the training segment that I was providing dealt with 
how to carry certain things on your person in case you run into a situation where you might have to free yourself. There was a lot of things being shown by some American instructors there. Uh, they were wearing all of their military fatigues. They were wearing some of the digital camo and stuff like that uh, for the classes. And all of them had American flags uh, on their shoulders. Um, and I was wearing a uh, you know, black uniform, which is uh, what I like, uh, like I used to wear for work. No patches on it, not even, you know, I wasn't going to wear my former unit patch or anything like that. Uh, and uh, one of them stepped over with me and, uh, you know, put one of the flags on my shoulder. And I just, just want to make sure people know that you're with us and, uh, you know, you're here on uh, with us, uh, you know, <laughs> just for them. It's like, okay, thank you. Uh, walked in there and, and I, I remember seeing them uh, listen to my Spanish learn from my experience being shocked that they hadn't heard about me before in their circles and then seeing a flag on my shoulder um, there's like that's the wrong flag and on a, in a quiet voice I told them uh, even if you're successful in whatever mission you think you're going to be a part of uh, remember that Mexico won't remember you just like I'm basically a figment of uh, the collective consciousness of Mexico right now. Um, and you're surprised to see me here with the experience that I have. And, and you're surprised that you haven't heard about me within the circles that you're coming up through. You're going to be the same if, if you know, things don't change. Uh, so just, just, just keep, uh, try and keep it alive. I can't even imagine. Uh, I was a part of the war at another time. You're going to be a part of the war at this during this time, which is, the, I think, it's probably the bloodiest year that we've experienced as a country. Just remember that that flag on your shoulder represents your people, not your government. And realize that your government's going to forget about you as soon as those six years are up. And I'll, it's sad and, and that I have to kind of remind them of that or tell them that. Um, but you could, you, could, you could see that, uh, you know, I, I could see myself in all of them. You know, that uh, idealistic, uh, I'm going to change things, I'm going to work, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the fight to them, all that uh, idealism. And then I, you know, just warned them about loss and how a lot of the people that I came out, out of training with are gone now. They're dead, they're in jail, they're on the other side of the fight, and how all of them are going to experience the same thing later on. Uh, interesting thing about that whole experience is that uh, their higher-ups or their superiors were there and their superiors were probably kind of contemporaries of mine as far as the time frame we were in. Uh, so they could, you know, I, I could see them in the background just nodding, you know, quietly nodding. So the whole narrative part, the whole sharing some of these experiences, the whole giving a voice to some of these stories, that's all basically putting a voice or some sort of memory to it that people can see, read, maybe share uh, to keep some of these things alive. Because I know, there's not a lot of people like me that went through the things that I went through out there uh, that have a that have an audience that they can share some of these things with. So it's also to me a way of keeping some of that stuff alive, keeping some of those lessons alive for people to learn. That um, would be my, you know, my biggest the biggest honor in my life. Ed is the first to admit he doesn't know everything, and his constant journey to learn is perhaps the best proof of that. An idea he sums up in a saying he repeats often to remind himself and his students 
that it's a journey without an end. Stillness is death. Stillness is death. Uh, many meanings behind it. Uh, it's something that I learned uh, from, you know, just, uh, just going about life. You know, shots ring out. Being in one place uh, for too long is going to be deadly uh, in a shootout situation. Uh, not getting any physical activity in your life, being sedentary, that's going to kill you. Everything's going to kill you, but it's going to probably going to meet that end faster. Uh, so I'm always, uh, stillness is death means you will never be able to learn everything. You will never be able to have all the lessons that you need to learn. If you stand still, you're not going to live. You need to be moving, consistently learning, consistently finding new experiences. Um, and just having that motion, mental motion, physical motion, spiritual motion of always trying to, uh, to maintain that curiosity about the world. Most of the students that have been through some of the classes with me you know, will, 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 uh, will nod their heads in agreement uh, when at the end of the uh, night, I usually take people to decompress somewhere, usually someplace with good food, with good hospitality, and uh, maybe some local flavor. You know, Wisconsin, I was drinking spotted cow beer. Um, Kentucky, I was drinking some of that buffalo rye. Uh, there's a certain uh, reverence at the end where I try and put people on the same on the same level where I'm not the instructor, but I'm just a guy uh, sharing in a meal and in some laughter. You can't fake experience, you can't fake scars, uh, you can't uh, fake damage. And one thing I've always been really open about is that uh, I have scars, I have damage, I have faults, I have defects, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I'm very honest about them. I'm, I'm always showing people and sharing some of these experiences with people. And very much I tell them like, hey, I'm a cautionary tale. <laughs> but then, then, then I try and, and really speak to those who listen. There's nothing wrong with that. All mistakes can be weaponized if you shut down your ego for a bit. Um, and uh, if anything, when they come out of that experience with uh, training with me or going out for a night of conversation, uh, with me is that uh, there's nothing special about me. What was special was my time and what I did with it. Um, and if I hadn't gone through it, I would be somebody else. Uh, and to realize that sometimes it's a choice between being able to do something and learning how to have the capability to do something and putting yourself on a path of looking or seeking out experience or avoiding everything, not seeking out experience, not wanting to learn anything new, and just being still. And uh, I think that the whole concept of being still is, you know, it's a generation of people that don't want to, they don't want to seek out experience, they're afraid of things, of safe spaces, they, they, they don't, they, they safety helmet if you're riding around a bike. <laughs> uh, that's good. I think, uh, but uh, seeking out experiences and being a product of experiences is, is uh, that's uh, that's a different thing. Um, and if anything, I, I just uh, I like sharing that with people and being honest about the fact that uh, it takes a lot of mistakes, <laughs> a lot of them, uh, to get to a level where you can show something proficiently. And that uh, if you want to be curious about the world, you better be ready for the beauty and the ugly. And I'm part of that whole preparation to deal with the ugly.
on the next episode of Alchemy of Violence. Find out what Ed believes are the best tools to survive the ugly, as he puts it. And he explains why some of them can't fit neatly in your pocket. Usually when you see people that you know, have a lot of life experience, they're probably going to carry some sort of combination of those things. And usually these things are solutions to, to the age-old uh, problem of being armed when you need to. These are situations, places, and events where if you want to be responsible and keep yourself safe, you actually have to become or have to start thinking in a very criminal way. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.